Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. The FT. Welcome to World Weekly. I'm Sean Donnan, the FT's World News Editor. On the show this week, we look at the Chinese economy in the wake of last week's cash crunch, which at one point saw interbank lending rates soar as high as 28% from the normal 25 to 3%. The People's Bank of China, the country's central bank, has stepped in and made some reassuring statements, but it's still been a nervous week on Chinese stock markets, and some commentators around the world have been raising the prospect of China being on the brink of a new financial crisis. Joining me in the studio to discuss the implications is Stefan Wagstel, the FT's Emerging Markets editor and the editor also of our Emerging Markets blog, Beyond Bricks. And down the line from Shanghai, we have Simon Rabinovich, who's been leading our coverage from China on this. Simon, let's start with you. There's a temptation to see this as the beginning of a new financial crisis. There were plenty of people around last week talking about China being on the brink, etc. How does it look from your vantage point? It looks less like the beginning of a new crisis, but it does look like the beginning potentially of a new era for finance in China. Not a crisis because unlike what we've had throughout the West over the past five years, this is not something that's being led by the market. It's really being led by the government itself, which has held back short-term funding from banks. And the reason it's doing that is that it's trying to change the rules of engagement in the Chinese financial sector. It's trying to encourage banks to be more mindful of the risks when they're accessing the interbank market and then turning around and investing that cash for their own profit. This is also happening against the context of a new leadership. I mean, what, what are we learning about the new leadership and their economic management as a result of this? The basic thing that we've learned is that they appear to be willing to accept a certain amount of short-term pain in return for what hopefully should be the long-term gain of a more stable financial system and a sounder foundation for growth. But previously, anytime China had new leaders come in, the expectation always was that in their first few months or their first uh, year, they would really let growth rip. They, they would try to have good economic numbers, and that was seen as a, a way for them to shore up their legitimacy. What we've seen with Xi Jinping and Li Keqiang is that they appear to be extremely confident in their grip on power already. And they are concerned about the long-term problems that have built up in the economy. And so rather than delaying addressing these concerns, they want to take them on right away. And of course, if there is to be any kind of negative fallout, it's quite convenient for them because they can point to their predecessors and say the problems were really caused by them. And all they're trying to do is to clean up the mess. Now, you talk about the mess, you talk about the need to get a more stable financial system. I think at this point, we should explain a little bit, what is the part of the financial system that she and others are so concerned about? Tell us more about the shadow banking sector and exactly how it sprung up in the recent years. Sure. Shadow banking is really symptomatic of what is the bigger concern in China, which is that up until the global financial crisis, China had a variety of different drivers of growth. There was investment, there was urbanization, there was exports, 
but it was never debt-fueled growth. Post the financial crisis, as all those various different engines began to peter out, China cranked up the credit more and more to support its growth to the point that overall credit as a portion of GDP rose from about 120% in 2008 to roughly 200% today. Now, that's not huge compared to other economies, but the scale of the increase in a relatively short period of time uh, is seen by everybody from the IMF to ratings agencies as being a big source of concern. Now, the regulators, of course, have been worried about this for a while and have tried through the formal banking sector to limit the rise in debt. As the regulators have tried to clamp down on the formal banking sector, the banks themselves have used a variety of off-balance sheet vehicles and a whole range of other non-bank but bank-like financial institutions have come into play. And collectively, they're known as the shadow banking sector uh, in China. And really, over the past two years, it's the shadow banking sector uh, that has been the biggest source of credit growth and, and thereby uh, indebtedness in China. Now, Stefan, w- one of the themes of the last couple of days has been some incredibly volatile behavior in, in the um, stock market in China. And you wrote earlier this week that there was a perfectly rational case for that. Just walk me through that case. It's no surprise to see the confidence in the stock market weakening in the prospect of a more difficult financial condition for borrowers, because as Simon has just said, credit has been uh, driving growth in many areas. So if companies and indeed individuals can't borrow so easily, then stocks go down. On top of that, of course, you have the use of borrowed money to invest in the market itself. And to the extent that that can be controlled, that too will become more difficult. And therefore, there's a second reason why stocks should come down. And this is completely compatible with the central bank calming the mood in the financial markets, because the point is that that calm is being achieved in the context, perhaps, of more difficult future financial borrowing conditions. Now, we're recording this on a, on a day when our front page contains the word feral hogs. This is a, a, one of the Fed governors, Richard Fisher, warning markets that they're behaving a bit like feral hogs in the wake of, of an announcement like last week. There was a sense from Richard Fisher when he was in here yesterday that he thought it was a slightly irrational reaction. You're talking about a very rational reaction in the markets there. There's also a sense from Richard Fisher that the Fed was not going to be bounced into doing anything different by the markets. Is there a sense in China, Simon, that the market might bounce the PBOC into changing things? Is the PBOC continuing its hard line? Well, we've already seen the PBOC show show slight signs of uh, softening. They, they've come out with a couple of statements now saying that they think that there's uh, sufficient liquidity in the markets, that the, the banks just really have to, uh, you know, get off their hands and start lending to each other. And they've come out today again to say that they think that uh, part of the squeeze that we've seen over the past two weeks is because of temporary factors and and that it will gradually fade away. So the PBOC is trying to to manage the market. Unlike more developed economies, the Chinese markets are really not developed. Uh, The the stock market is seen as a bit of a casino. The, The bond market has begun to grow, but it's still very, very limited. What is probably a bigger concern for the PBOC is the actual money market and the interbank market, because this is so critical to the overall financing structure in China. And we've actually seen a couple of major government-backed financial institutions 
having to pull their bond issuances over the past week or just being unable to sell the overall allotment of bonds that they wanted to sell. So the market, I think, is already beginning to uh, discipline the PBOC and to force it to try to stabilize the situation. Stefan? Well, I think one thing to bear in mind is that central bank governors like to pick on speculators and, and dodgy investors in the way that um, uh, Fisher did. The problem is that as interest rates go up, more and more uh, investments uh, begun, become to look difficult. It's very hard to draw the line between what is speculative, what is short term and what is long term. And inevitably, some things which are regarded as good investments uh, or were a year ago will suddenly uh, look quite difficult in the context of more difficult financial conditions. So it's a continuum, not an either-or. Now, whether or not this this uh, builds into another financial crisis, certainly, as you have said, Simon, there is this theme of, of the slower growth path in China. What is that going to mean for China over the next year? Well, I guess the first point is that a lot of people think that slower growth is a good thing for China, that it's going to be a more sustainable path. But the fact is a lot of companies and a lot of governments, local governments in particular, have based their investment plans on quite fast growth, 8%, 9% growth. So if China does slow down towards 7 or even less, the, the impact that will have on all these investments, like Stefan was saying, investments that seemed quite good a year ago, that impact is, is still very, very uncertain. So slower growth might seem like an okay thing for China, but it actually could prove to be a very dangerous thing. So it's really going to be a nervous year, I I think, for uh, the economy as a whole, for companies that are exporting to China, for commodity miners around the world, and for Chinese markets. Stefan, how does that idea of the slower growth path fit in with what we're seeing in other emerging markets? We're seeing a general slowing uh, of the world economy, including of emerging markets. So uh, the outlook is for slower growth than happened this decade than in the last decade. And the outlook is for slower growth this year right now than was predicted even six months ago. And companies and indeed governments have to adjust to this new reality. The problem, as Simon says, is that not every investor is set up for slow growth. And around the emerging markets world, particularly in the property sector, you see plenty of investments which have been set up um, for stratospheric rates. And those are the ones that will, they will be in trouble. And it's comforting to think that the only people behind them are nasty speculators who the world, or at least the financial world, will be better off without. But the fact is, as... Um, conditions get more difficult, I think we'll see some well-known names perhaps under pressure. Simon, let's close it with a uh, a more of a short-term prediction. Where are we going to go over the next month and over the summer? Well, I think we've already begun to see a stabilization of the money market and interbank rates in China. So the acute phase of this mini-crisis has passed, but rates are stabilizing at a level higher than in the past. So this makes the cost of investment in China a lot higher. So I think we're going to see month on month, quarter on quarter, growth grinding slower and slower in China. So it's not going to be a fast action crisis like we had in September 2008. But I think it will be a slow motion realization that the the party of double digit growth in China over the past decade uh, is over and it's it's going to be a difficult, slow new reality for everybody from China to around the world to adjust to. Stefan? 
I'm more nervous about the next two or three months, not necessarily because of Chinese factors, but because Chinese factors work in the context of much more difficult global financial conditions. We've seen the Fed play its card. The way that that will work out in the next few weeks and months is still very unclear to me. On top of that, you have uncertainties about what the European Bank may or may not do, and you have Japan uh, stepping in uh, with a very large uh, liquidity program. How all these things balance out, to me, uh, is very unclear, and I think it's unclear to many investors. Stefan Waxton, studio in London. Thank you very much. Simon Rabinovich, down the line from Shanghai. Thank you. That's it for this week. World Weekly is produced by Martin Staber. We'll be back next week. Goodbye. For more downloads, go to ft.com forward slash podcasts. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.